Good morning, church. You know what? That was that worship was just unbelievably good. I, it was awesome. I I might have a spell up here, Nathan. I never you never know. <laughs> it's a great job, guys. Well, I am certainly glad to be here. I uh, the last two or three weeks, as most of you or some of you may know, have been a trying time for our leadership team in the church. Uh, we are trusting God that we're on our way out of a little rough spell with COVID, and uh, I'm glad to be here today. God's been good to us. He has seen us through, and we are well. So I want to praise Him for His mercy. I want to praise Him for His mercy. I want to praise Him for His healing. I want to, for, for His provi- provision in our lives. Do you know that most of the provision that God gives to you, gives to all of us in our lives, comes from his people? Do you know that God uses his people? He uses you guys. That's, a, that's just an amazing thing to me. I, I always, I, I, I'm, uh, Dylan, by the way, I'm going to talk about that for just a second, but Dylan, I didn't grow up in the church either, so I had some weird views as a child growing up, and I thought everything from God came from God out, out, out of heaven in some kind of lightning bolt fashion. It never worked that way. It never worked. And if it did, I don't know that I would want to be there when he's sending lightning bolts, you know. So God's love toward us is so much shown in his people who are commanded to show his love. I am grateful for you guys. I tell you, I missed being here. It is, it is a joy to be back amongst you today. God is so good to us. I want to start by saying, first of all, that if you're not coming to the 9.30 a.m. Sunday morning at, at Devo devotional time, for those of you that are not hip and trendy, Devo time, you are missing something, and and I, uh, Dylan. I, I, he gave an unbelievably awesome uh, devo this morning, and Jacob started that series last week. And both of these guys, if if you're not coming, you are missing this. Now I would encourage you to go back on Facebook or YouTube and take a look at it. But my goodness, it's worth your time. It is worth your time. These, these two young men shared a beautiful, beautiful rundown of how the gospel has forever changed their lives. If you missed them, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. Now, I'm, I am very proud <laughs> to say that these two young men not only represent our church well, they represent the God that they serve very well. I keep saying young men. I, you know, Mark's also a part of that group, and he, he's, uh, my, he's I, well, I, I'm just saying, Mark, I, I appreciate the guidance of godly older men like Mark and Nathan. And, uh, and <laughs> uh, I told you I might get out of control. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Enough of that. I'm glad I'm, glad I'm here, guys. Let's start. We're going to start in Galatians chapter 1, and uh, we're going to go through verses 1 through 9. Paul, an apostle, not sent from men, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all of the brethren who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, 
grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be, be the glory forevermore. Amen. Paul goes on to say, I am amazed that you are so quickly desert, deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, he says, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Paul says, but even if we, speaking of himself, and everybody that proclaims God's word needs to include themselves in that, but he says, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said, and Paul says, if you didn't get it this time, you'll get it this time, the next time. He says, as we have said before, and so I say again now, if any man who is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, he is to be accursed. Those are strong words. Galatians is one of Paul's earliest letters. It's being, being written, they think, may have been maybe the first one that he wrote, around A.D. 48. So Paul is writing to the Galatian churches. There, was more than, there wasn't just a Galatian church. There were several of them in the region of Galatia. So there are at least four. There may have been even six. It's according to if scholars include the northern Galatia region and the southern Galatia region. So we won't get into all, but there was more than one. Uh, and, and he's He's, he's writing to them to confront some lies that they are being told about the truth of Jesus' gospel. The problem that Paul was confronting was that the Galatian churches, many of whom were, were Gentiles within those churches, so they were not Jews, and we'll talk more about that later, were being told that in addition to faith in Christ for salvation, that they also needed to strictly adhere to the Mosaic law before they could be justified by God. Now, let's start by defi defining some terms that I just used here. Now, our modern day description of a Gentile is just someone who's not a Jew. But it's important to note that in the time of Paul and in the time of Christ, there was an even deeper meaning behind calling someone a Gentile, not a Jew. It wasn't just about not being a descendant of Abraham, because that's what a, a Jew is, or an Israelite. A Gentile was a person who was without God and without his law. That, that changes things. There's a lot of people that are without God and without his law that are not Gentiles. But in that day, that was a defining factor of a Gentile. It's an important understanding because you know, we're also a church made up primarily of Gentiles. I, I assume that anyway. <clears throat> the other term that I used was justified. Now, this is an extremely important term for, uh, that, that we have to understand. We have to grasp the actual meaning of this. To be justified is to be declared righteous by God. So why is this important to know? First, God is the only one who can declare someone to be righteous. Did you know that? I can't declare you to be righteous. Nathan can't declare you to be righteous. Mark can't. <laughs> the Pope can't declare you to be righteous. God is the only one. It's not about 
how good we are or how many good things we do. It's not about that. If it was about that, then you could do some good works and you'd be okay, right? Paul said, no, not so much. If that was the case, then Jesus died in vain. We know that's not the case. The concept of justification being declared righteous by God is a key part in everything that we're going to talk about today. So what was the issue in the churches of Galatia? The trouble was with a group that Paul called the Judaizers. They were telling the Gentile Christians that they must also follow the law of Moses to be saved. And it's important to note that the, that the law in issue here was not the moral law of God. So Paul was not telling the Galatians that it was okay to live in adultery or to steal or to covet or to worship other gods. It was the ceremonial law. That's important to note. The ceremonial law of the Jews that was at issue here. Jesus himself had no problem with the moral law of God. No problem with it. He kept it. He, he was the only one who did keep it perfectly. However, you'll, you'll recall that Jesus had many issues with what, what ended up being called the oral law of God. Now, uh, the, 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 the Jews had established this. This was a written commentary on the Torah, or the first five books of the Old Testament, that the Pharisees had put, to get, put together, the oral law. This, this was called, at, at later it became the oral Torah, and then much later, around 200 AD, it was compiled into what they called the Mishnah, the Mishnah. So if you think about a commentary on the words of God, that's what this was. That was the problem. That was the problem. This was why Jesus said in Mark 7, 7, that, that the Pharisees were teaching their traditions as doctrine. He said, you're teaching men what you do and all of this stuff from the oral law. Jesus not only kept God's law, he said in Matthew 5, 17, that he didn't come to abolish the law or the prophets, he came to fulfill them. So one of the situations that Paul recounts to the Galatian churches is when he confronted Peter about his hypocrisy of not eating with Gentile Christians when the Jewish Christians came around. This law of not eating with Gentiles is another example of the oral law, something that the Pharisees put in place. Did not come from God. It was a way to understand to them more fully what God wanted you to do. This, that, that, that not eating with Gentiles was not instituted by God and it was not a part of God's law. I want to make that clear. That's why, that's why Paul had a problem with it when Peter did it. He called him a hypocrite when he did it. There, there were many Jews who had heard Paul and I want, to, I want to explain that there were Jews of that day and most of the people who turned their lives over to Christ at, at that time were Jews. But there were many Jews who heard Paul or one of the other apostles preach the gospel of Christ, believed his message, trusted him for salva salvation, and were saved. These, and, there, and some of these Jews, many of these Jews, still held to the customs, the feasts, and the festivals that, that, that Judaism required. They, but they knew that their right standing with God did not come in what they had done. It did not come in the works that they were doing. 
That was not what made them right before God. But they, they knew their right standing came from justification from God. And at this point, it was, it was belief and faith on what Jesus had done on the cross. So, this was not the people that were causing the problem in Galatia, in the churches of Galatia. This group, who Paul calls the Judaizers, were distorting the gospel of Christ by saying that the requirements of the, Mosa of the Mosaic law must be adhered to for you to actually be saved. Now, on the surface, that may not seem like a big deal. You'll see as we go through that it was a very big deal. It was supremely important, not just to Paul, but ultimately to God. To make the gospel of Christ into a teaching that is, that is not scriptural, or to add something to the gospel of Christ that's not from the authority of God is no small matter. Paul lays out in no uncertain terms. Let's go back to verses 8 and 9. Paul says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. And to make sure you got it, he repeats that again. It's an important deal. Do you think that, problem, that Paul has a problem with people distorting the gospel of Christ? He absolutely did. He absolutely did. Paul, we're going to see Paul take them to school on this a little bit. But Paul is a master at, a, at uh, an, an ancient way of arguing. It's, it's still used today, but he was a master at using rhetorical language that's intended, it's language that's intended to persuade. So sometimes a speaker, or in this case, Paul, a writer, will repeat themselves for rhetorical effect to emphasize the point. That's what Paul's doing. But Make no mistake, folks, Paul meant every word that he said. He absolutely meant if you add to or preach something different, you are to be accursed. He meant that. This was not just a difference of opinion on the gospel. This was an attempt by the Judaizers to change the gospel, and Paul was having none of it. None of it. And we should have none of it. I want to be sure that we understand this issue before we move on. Paul is dealing with a group that is attempting to distort what God has said, to distort the word of God. The, and the Galatians have fallen prey to this. They have fallen prey and have been persuaded to believe this distorted gospel. Now, I want to point out that the Judaizers didn't say, they did not say, Jesus isn't the Messiah. They didn't tell them that. They didn't dispute that Jesus was the Messiah. They didn't say, Jesus didn't die for you. They didn't tell them that either. Their message was not too different from other false gospels, which Paul said was no gospel at all. Their belief had a tiny bit of truth in it. They didn't entirely dispute Jesus' claim. You know how important that is? That we see that happening today. We see it in our world. It didn't just ha happen then. It's happening today. There were numerous groups in Paul's day who, who believed some of Jesus' teachings. And there were even more out, and there's more of them out there today, in our day, that will invoke the name of Jesus. But it's not the gospel. It's, it's, it's a scary thing. When it sounds good, 
and it looks good, and people are moved by it, but it's not the gospel. Make no mistake, those who claim to know Jesus, but not according to the gospel, are false teachers. They're false teachers. there's, There's nothing else that you can call them. So, if it's not what Jesus, Paul, and the others taught, it is not the gospel. It is not. So, it was not the gospel in Paul's day, and it's not the gospel now. It's okay to say amen. <laughs> don't, don't be deceived by some of these things. Know the word of God. Understand what the gospel is, but also understand what it is not. So not everyone who names the name of Jesus is a follower of Jesus. Do you know that? Not everyone who names his name is a follower. So let's, I want to move into Galatians 3 because we've got a lot of things to go over. Paul is again going to use a series of rhetorical questions to try and shake these people back to the real world, back to actually what God said. Galatians 3, I'm going to start with verse 1. You foolish Galatians, there's a good way to start a letter, isn't it? You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Now, Paul is building on a comment that he had made in the previous verse, in the previous chapter, uh, in Galatians 2.21, where he said that if anyone can be justified, declared righteous by God, in the eyes of God by the law, Paul says, then Jesus died for nothing. His death would be pointless if there was another way to be made right with God other than trusting in Christ's death in our place on the cross. If you trust in anything else, then his death is pointless. Paul calls the Galatians foolish and asks, who has bewitched them? Now, when Paul was there, they had clearly understood the truth of the gospel of God's grace. Now, they understood the power of the cross. Paul said they saw it with their own eyes when he described it to them. Did, did someone use magic to steal away the truth from them? Are they under some kind of an evil spell? Is that what Paul's talking about? Can that happen? Paul is not suggesting that some kind of hex is at work here. He, he's making the point that this is such a foolish lie that it is as if someone is manipulating their beliefs against their will. This is incredible to Paul. So, now, Paul is pretty harsh. He's pretty straightforward. Nobody ever said Paul minced words on anything. But I want to point out that it's important to recall, Paul had founded this group of churches. So, when, when, so when he and Barnabas had, had traveled through the area on their first missionary journey, so Paul had led many of these people to the Lord during his time there. They were, they were intimately acquainted with Paul, and Paul knew them well. And man, is he ever rough on them. This is even further confirmed by the words that Paul uses. The Greek word that he used for foolish is aniotos. And and this word has numerous relevant definitions, but it refers to those who have the information and the ability needed to perceive something, but they fail to use it. That's foolish. That's foolish. They were unwilling to use their mental faculties to understand. It's not a lack of intelligence or a lack of information as much as it is 
a mental laziness and carelessness. So Paul knew firsthand that these people had been taught better. They knew better. He knew because he taught them. So it's like saying, have you stopped using your brain? (laughs) Have you gone out of your mind? It would be like me saying to Ethan, what are you thinking, Ethan? Is your brain in neutral? It might, yeah, it might be. <clears throat> Paul begins to ask the Galatians a series of leading questions. Again, these seem to be rhetorical but because they know the answer, and Paul knows the answer. His purpose is to help them reevaluate what they already know to be true. So verse number 2 of chapter 3, this is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit from the works of the law or by hearing with faith? So the obvious answer here is that the Spirit came by hearing with faith. Paul appeals to their experience that they had and asks them to look at the evidence of what happened when they were saved. These believers had received the Holy Spirit from God at the time of their conversion, just like all other Christians. So did it happen when they heard and believed in Christ? Or did they have to perform some works of the law first? Paul's question to them is meant to help them see that God gave them his spirit willingly by his grace, not because of anything they had done. It just doesn't come that way. Paul says to them in verse 3, Are you so foolish? Having begun by the spirit, are are you now being perfected? By the flesh. Now, if you just casually read verse 3, you, it, it seems that Paul's asking the very same question in verse 3 that he asked in verse 2, but that's not the case. He says, verse 2 was centered on receiving the Spirit when you believe, on the initial gift of the Spirit as the evidence of being saved. Paul told the Ephesian church that after they had heard the message of the truth, the gospel of their salvation, they had been sealed in Christ with the Holy Spirit of the promise. Verse 3, however, is talking about the continuing, sanctifying work in the life of the believer. Do you see it? Read what it says again. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Do you see it? Paul asked them, how, how can you be perfected by the flesh? You have begun in the Spirit. Since they began in the power of God's Spirit, do they think they'll be perfected by their own human efforts? Do you think you will be by your own human efforts? You won't be. Paul calls it the flesh. He says you can't, it's not going to come by living according to the law. Again, the implied answer was obviously no. It came by hearing with faith. So, I want to uh, clarify something before it gets lost here. We've been talking a lot about God's law and how it does not save you. Does this mean that we totally ignore God's commands? The answer is no. We don't totally ignore, and that's not what I'm saying. It cannot mean that. I want to... I I just... uh, In chapter 6 of Galatians, Paul tells the brethren there, to bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. And that's not up on the screen. Also in 1 Corinthians 9, which is not up on the screen, 
Paul, again, talks about being under the law of Christ. This is in the context of Paul saying that he had become all things to all men so that he might save some. He goes on to say that he does all things for the sake of the gospel so that he may become a fellow partaker of it. So if you have put your faith in Christ and given your life to him, you can be sure that the Spirit of God is going to urge you to follow the law of Christ, to bear the burdens of your brothers and sisters in the Lord. You can be sure of that. Bearing the burdens of your brothers and sisters in Christ, following the law of Christ, should be a natural outflow of the redeemed Christian. It should be. You will follow God's law, not for God to, to, to love you more or to make you any better than you are, because you love him. He first loved you. Paul continues to ask questions that are designed to help the Galatians recall what God had done in their lives and determine if it was through works of the law or by hearing with faith. And I'll give you a little bit of an uh, uh, insight into the answer. It's always by hearing with faith. It's always that way. So, verse number four. Let's go through four and five. Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? So then, how does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Paul is just a master at asking leading questions. This, this, this was not a hard question. You guys already know the answer. It was by hearing with faith. The Galatians had not yet done any works of the law when God sent his spirit to them. They had not done anything so, so far. They had believed in faith, trusted what God had said through, through the, through the blood shed, uh, shed of Christ. The spirit had come immediately after they had believed before they could actually do anything. The answer is obvious. The spirit that was given to them and the miracles that were among them came when they heard the gospel and responded in faith. That's the same way it happens today hasn't changed. Now Paul begins to show that this is the way that God has always worked, even before the law was given. So go to verse 6. Paul says this, even so Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now Abraham, the father of all Jewish people, was declared righteous by God for his belief in the promises that God had made. He trusted God that God would do exactly what he says. To make the point, Paul quotes Genesis 15, 6. Abraham had not been circumcised as all Jews were before God declared him righteous for his faith. The law didn't come for another 430 years, so he couldn't trust in the law. I want to look at a word that Paul uses in verse 6 that's going to give us a better understanding of what Paul is trying to say to us. Now, this is, this is one of the few times that I, I get to use a, a word that is used frequently in the vernacular of the Appalachian people. <laughs> we used to call ourselves hillbillies, but we found out that that wasn't politically correct, so we, we, Appalachian sounds better, right? So now we're Appalachian. Okay. Anyway, that word is reckon, reckon, or reckoned, as Paul uses it in the past tense. Now, sometimes in the South, 
we would, we would say, hey, Barney, you going to the store today? Yeah, I reckon. I reckon I'll go. <laughs> That's what we thought it meant. I, it, to say, oh, I suppose so, that doesn't convey the meaning of the term <laughs> contextually. Paul quotes Genesis 15, 6 and says, it was reckoned to him as righteousness. The word literally means to place to one's account. It's an accounting term. Or to credit something to someone. So, and, and, and what was credited to Abraham? Righteousness. Righteousness. This is an accounting term that has deep meaning if we'll just follow it. Whatever is reckoned to a person cannot be something that he, that he had originally or naturally. This righteousness that was reckoned to Abraham was not because of circumcision, good works, or any of that. The text is clear. God credited with him with something that was not originally or naturally his because of his faith in God and his faith in the promises of God. Now, Paul now makes, first of all, did you, you, get, you get that? You can say, I reckon. <laughs> Paul now makes an interesting shift in his appeal to the Galatians. So the, these next few verses are an important part of why this lesson is relevant for us today. Have you ever wondered how someone in the Old, in the Old Testament could be declared righteous without Jesus having even been sent yet? Paul's giving a very important understanding of the truth of Scripture. It's just as important for us as it was for the Galatians. He's going to show that the, Old, that the Old Testament and the law were always about faith in God and about looking forward to the coming of Christ. Look at, the, look, look at this radical idea that Paul declares in chapter 3, verse 7. He says, Therefore, sorry, I lost the place. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. Wait a minute. Has Paul just said that those who trust the Lord, referred to as those of faith, are the sons of Abraham? Does Paul realize that the majority of these people in this church are not Jews? They are Gentiles and were never descendants of Abraham? Yeah, Paul knows this. He knew those people. And yes, Paul is saying, that those who are trusting the Lord through faith are sons of Abraham. We're going to see him make this explicitly clear later on. Paul had the same message for the church in Rome, and this is not up on the screen, Romans 4, starting at verse 13. Paul told the church at Rome, he said, For the promise to Abraham or to his de descendants that he would be heir of the world was not through the law. What? Wait a minute. Isn't it all about the law, Paul? He said, but through the righteousness of faith. And jump down to Romans 4, 22. He says, therefore it was also credited to him, reckoned to him, Abraham, as righteousness. Now, not for his sake only, what was it written that it was credited to him, Paul says, but for our sake also, to whom it will be credited as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our, uh, because of our justification. 
Have you ever heard the song? Everybody's heard this song. Children's church song. Father Abraham has many sons. Now, Adam, I know they, you may want me to lead worship after this, but Father Abraham has many sons. Many sons has Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Let's sing it all. Father Abraham has many sons. Many sons has Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Now, Nathan, get up and do the right foot, left foot. No, okay. So Father Abraham's many sons include, now get this, all, all who trust in Christ. That's amazing, isn't it? Wait a minute, Barney, I thought it was about the law. Didn't, didn't the Jews tell that you had to follow the law? This would have been a mind-blowing, radical proclamation. Paul is reminding these Gentiles that trusting in Christ has put them in the same category as the children of Abraham. That's crazy. Wow. The people of God, the Jews, Paul is reminding them that Jesus put them in the same category who were descendants of Abraham by birth. We can't claim any birthright here, folks. These false, false teachers insisted that nobody could be included in the family of God unless they were willing to follow the law. So by that logic, if non-Jews, like the readers, like Paul's readers in Galatia, wanted to be in God's family, they had to do what all Jewish men had to do, circumcision. They, uh, how Paul has just pointed out that God called Abraham righteous long before that ever happened. This is one of the reasons why the Jews hated Jesus. Do you know that? This is why they called him a blasphemer. This is why in part that the early church suffered so much persecution at the hands of the Jewish people. This is vitally important for us to know today. You, <laughs> I can't emphasize it enough how important it is for us to understand this concept today because Folks, we don't have anybody in our world today telling us we have to follow the Mosaic Law to be saved. Now, there's some fringe groups out there, and, and they're out there, but we don't know any of them. I don't know any of them personally. But boy, do we ever have a lot of people in our world today that will come and say, ah, I, know that, I know that you've been saved. I know you've given your life over to Christ, and, uh, but, but you've got to do this work or this thing or that thing or you're not really saved important for us to understand that that is just the same as this. That's not the gospel. It's vitally important for us to know this today. It's vitally important to understand the relevance of this today. God intended for the entire world, the past, the present, and the future world to, to be redeemed by faith in Christ. There's only one way to enter the kingdom of God, and in our time, that is, through, that is faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Do you see why Paul was so emotional and so rough on these people? They knew this. Some people think that God's plan to have a chosen people had failed, and God had to go to plan B and send Jesus to fix this problem. God doesn't change, folks. That's not what happened. 
Paul is saying that faith in God is, has always been the plan. And Paul gives them the details. Look at verse number 8. He says, the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. Wait a minute, Marty. How is that the gospel? (laughs) It is by faith in what God says. And when Paul says that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, he preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. Sometimes we don't understand that this is a part of the gospel. All the nations will be blessed in you, he said. How can Paul say such a thing? What about all the requirements of the law in the Old Old Testament? Paul reminds his readers that one of the first things that God said to Abraham, that through him, all of the nations of the earth will be blessed through his lineage. And Christ came from the the lineage of Abraham. Paul is clear. This was God's plan all along. The scriptures were always pointing to the day when all people, not just the Israelites who followed the law, All people would be included in the family of God by faith as Abraham was. The law was never meant to be the solution for our sin. Christ was. Verse number 9. So then, Paul says, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham the believer. In John chapter 8 Jesus was having a, an ongoing discuss, discussion with some Jews, and Jesus told them, he said, if you continue in my word, you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Now, those Jews immediately invoked their family lineage. They said, we are descendants of Abraham and have never been slaves to anyone. Now, only part of that was true. They certainly were descendants of Abraham, but their ancestors had certainly been enslaved in Egypt. So the problem was, was that Jesus was talking about spiritual things, and they were talking about physical things. Jesus said that the slavery that he was talking about, that they would be freed from, was a slavery to sin. He was the only one that could free them from that slavery. Their family lineage could never make them righteous. Yours nor mine, no matter what a great family that we come from, can never make us righteous before God. My, what, what my grandmother believed will not help me. If she taught it to me, it could certainly have given me a background, but I cannot rest on what my grandmother or my mother or my father or anybody else did. Jesus told them that he, he was speaking, uh, he, he's talking to these Jews, and he said, I'm speaking about the things that came from his father, but they were also doing the things which he said, you're doing the same things that you've heard from your father. They were getting more agitated by the minute. They answered and said, Abraham is our father. Jesus said, then if you're, Abraham's, if you're Abraham's children, then do what Abraham did. Jesus ends up telling them actually who their father is. He said, you're of your father, the devil. 
So what was it that Abraham done that Jesus wanted them to do? The scripture clearly says that Abraham had faith, believed God. Abraham trusted that God would make good on all of the promises that he had made. This was belief that forever changed the way that Abraham lived. This was an active belief. Our, our, our theme today has been uh, salvation has always been about faith. There are no works that can save you. You can't be good enough. You can't live a good enough life. In and of ourselves, every one of us, the scripture tells us we're all sinners. You and I can't even claim, unless you're Jewish, you can't even claim to be a physical descendant of Abraham. But God in his great mercy and his love has made a way for us. We can, you can be children of the Most High God. Jesus became sin for us. He took the penalty that was ours so that we can become the righteousness of God. I, I can say that to you, and my mind goes in a spinning. I cannot comprehend. I know it's true. I can't comprehend that a good and holy God would do that for me. This is good news. This is good news. Why is it good news? It's because it was instituted by God. This gospel is not just for a select group. It's for all who will put their trust in Christ. All who will put their trust in Christ. I urge you, urge you to do that. I urge you to.